College Student Success Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping college students with mental health issues set and achieve goals for themselves to get them where they want to be. I am your host, Derek Malinzak, and this is episode 50 of the podcast. Wow, 50. And here we are in week five. That's some five action going on there. Um, welcome, everybody. I just noticed it was episode 50. I hadn't really... Uh, checked on the numbers and wow that's a nice round great number uh i never uh i never had a goal when i started out of how many podcasts i wanted to put out but um i knew that it was potentially going to be a very short-lived experience and i'm happy it was not i'm happy i got to episode 50 and uh, i hope you're finding the episodes valuable um I hope that you are getting something out of it and, and what I'm intending to do, which is, you know, help people set goals that matter, help college students, you know, that potentially have issues with uh, depression or anxiety or other mental health issues, set goals that matter to them in areas of their life that are important to them, whether that be uh, on a social level, you know, making friends or getting into an intimate relationship um, from a physical health level, you know, it could be getting in shape, quitting smoking, you know, it could be um, losing weight, it could be things related to substance abuse, you know, cutting down or quitting, um, or it could be school related too, you know, that is certainly a priority for a lot of people, and uh, if that is what you're passionate about now and, and what you really know you're here to do, then I encourage you to set goals related to your schooling. And uh, hopefully I can help you achieve them. Um, listening in on here, learning some different strategies, some ideas, some trends that I've noticed. Um, so episode 50. Yeah, rock on. Um, so as I said, we're in week five of this semester, which means we are about a third of the way done already. And just a quick tip, check in on your grades. Um, a lot of students I know probably don't have many grades yet. That's unfortunate um, because you have no idea how you're doing. Not that I, I want you to take lots of exams and, and get lots of grades, but um, it, it gives you, it's your measuring stick to sort of see like how things are going in the semester. If you really need to be taking some extra steps to get some um, extra help, either from the instructor or from some of the on-campus resources that might be available out there, tutoring and um, the writing lab or wherever. Um, but check your grades. Midterms are coming. And uh, if you are struggling or if you're not getting what you need from your instructors, please reach out to them. Start the dialogue now. Don't wait until like week 13 to be like, I didn't get what I needed from you back in week five because then Derek's going to be sitting there being like, I told you so. Come on, guys. Um, everything gets really, really intense at the end of the semester. And I'm just going to lay it straight on you. Instructors have less sympathy than when people reach out early on when it's not, you know, backs up against the wall. So take it from an instructor that has a lot of people come to me. Um, you know, the earlier, the better, you know, the earlier I can help you out with something, the easier it will be to self-correct, um, and end up on a positive outcome at the end of the semester. So with that in mind, um, let me do our topic of the day real quick. I don't want to spend too much time on it because the uh, interview I had went fairly long. Um, there are three, I actually had 
uh, a Reddit post all ready to go and went up. Uh, I got it last night and went to look at it this morning and it was taken down. So I had to quick um, find something new to talk about. And I found three posts that all sort of illustrate a similar thing. And it kind of relates to our interview today. So the first one says, I'm thinking of dropping out. Currently in my sophomore year, 38000 in debt. I'm thinking about dropping out to get a job, pay down my debt, and then enrolling when I'm 24 so as to have money granted from the government, which will be more. The thing is, I'm not sure what kind of job I can get. Are there any jobs that come to mind to pay 12 to $15 an hour that require a 19-year-old, that a 19-year-old could work? At this rate, I'll graduate with 95000 in debt and won't pay it off for decades. College just doesn't seem worth that. Then we have a second post here thinking about going to community college for the third time. I failed twice so far. First time was dorming. Second time I was commuting via train. I was formerly a hort major. I guess that's horticulture, um, but would like to switch to business. Everyone I know is warning me that the math requirements, uh, I've never passed an algebra class. I don't know what I'm looking for as far as advice, but anyone thinks they can help me is appreciated. And then the last one, not sure if I want to stay in college. I've joined college and been here for three weeks. The course, which is law, hasn't properly started yet. I chose to do it not because I want a job in it, because, but because it would be a good safety net so I could try other things, like being a band. Yet I don't think I can study it for three years. Not sure what to do. So all three of these are, are people, you know, coming to Reddit with questions, but they're all sort of similar but not similar, right? But I think what's, what I noticed in common with these is that the person doesn't seem to be asking the right question. Um, so with the first one, person's 38000 in debt. They, they want to maybe leave school to pay down the debt. And their question is, are there any jobs that pay 12 to $15 for a 19-year-old? And, you know, that's, I guess, a valid question. But I mean, in my mind, it's like, yes, of course there are. <laughs> Um, there are certainly lots of jobs out there. Um, the amount of money it costs, the amount of money they'll pay you is going to be, you know, commensurate on experience and also really region of the, the country. It plays a big factor in, in starting salary too. So I think that's sort of like an obvious like, yeah. But the, the larger question is here is like, what what is school really mean to you and, and where does that fit? And I think that that's really what the person is saying here is like, yeah, I could take a break and pay down my debt, and I'm sure I could get a job doing something. Um, to me, the waiting until you're 24 because you get more grant money isn't, again, as important as the fact that when you're out there working for those few years, paying down your debt, great idea, um, you're also learning shit about yourself. You're learning what you like, you're learning what you don't like, you might take a job in something that you think you might want to go to school for later and then realize you hate it and say, oh, I'm so glad I took this job because now I'm not going to waste, you know, 40 something thousand dollars um, to go to school for this. And that ties into the second. Uh, well, this was the third one. I said the guy that is taking a law course hasn't started yet and is only choosing law because it would be a good safety net so he could be in a band. Um, I'm fine with safety nets. <laughs> um, I think some people were like thinking I was going to criticize that. But the idea of paying money to go to school to get a degree so you have a safety net when really what you want to do is something completely different, 
um, just doesn't seem like the best use of time and resources. Um, so if it was a safety net and I wanted to be in a band, I might be studying things like audio engineering, you know, and learning how to mix sound really well at a professional level or learning promotion, you know, in which case maybe communications is an, is an ideal kind of course or major to be taking alongside somebody, alongside for somebody that wants to, you know, perform. Um, or maybe it's like stage building or, you know, there's a lot of like jobs on the periphery of the music industry that are quite lucrative um, and highly interesting to people that are, you know, primarily there to make music. So that would be sort of the safety net thing that I would be thinking of. Not a law degree if you don't actually want a job in law. Um, you're right. You don't. You won't be able to study it for three years if you ha if you have no interest in it and your real interest is being in a band. Um, and then the f the third person here who tr failed community college twice wants to switch to business but is scared about the math. Um, again, it's really to me not asking the right question. The question I would be asking is, what is it about business that is so? Uh, inspiring to you that makes you want to go back to school for it right so if it was because you you know worked for a little while in between these community college attempts and you know got involved with a business or found a mentor and was really inspired to start my own business or work with this guy in in his organization that would be you know a real rock solid reason to kind of be pursuing this and this guy may, this person, I don't know if it's a man or a woman, may have that. It's not, it's not uh, indicated. But if that person has the drive, if they have the why to pursue a business degree that really matters to them, then they'll get through the fucking algebra. <laughs> they'll figure out a way because the big goal of, you know, getting this degree because it leads to whatever, you know, this site thing with this mentor or, or this, uh, you know, this I thing about myself that I discovered and really like and need this to complement it, um, will be in plain sight, will be easy for you to see, and it will drive you to figure out what you need to do to get through that algebra, to get that degree. So all three of these to me don't really relate except in the way that the person is thinking about making a change but not really asking the right questions when it comes to it in my opinion you know um college students may have a more you know black and white type of view and and again i think these these questions they're asking are relevant i just think if if i were this person's friend i would be directing them to to, to question these types of things that we just uh, talked about so hopefully that helps you guys um, so now we are going to get into the interview, and uh, I am super excited to have John Pugliano come on from Investable Wealth, and he uh, has a podcast called The Wealth Setting Podcast, and it may seem odd to have an um, investment advisor uh, come on and, and talk to college students many of which probably don't have money or, or a drive to be investing at this point in their lives. But we really don't talk a lot about that. We don't talk about student loans. We talked a lot about the mindset of, of what a college, how a college student should approach money and 
um, I include a number, I include John's 10 wealth studying principles. So even if you are not a money person and really have no interest in finance or anything, I really encourage you to listen to this interview because it really isn't about that. Um, he gives a lot of good answers about um, things that people, college students may not have heard about related to the millionaire next door and how you can, um, how apprenticeship can work in, in, in with college, not uh, as an alternative to college. So, you know, for the people I, I was just talking about uh, that, you know, wrote into Reddit, you know, some of that is what I think about when I was answering those questions. Come back to the, the discussion I had with John earlier in the week. So really want to thank John for this, uh, taking the time. Hope you guys uh, enjoy the interview and uh, take it away, Derek and John. Okay, we are back at the College Student Success Podcast, and I have a very special guest uh, for today's episode. Uh, his name is John Pugliano, and uh, John, welcome to the podcast. Derek, great to be on with you. I um, am a big fan of your podcast, um, so before we get into that, I was just wondering if you could kind of start out with kind of letting people who know who you are, what you do, and kind of why you do it. Sure thing. Well, I'm, uh, I'm a money manager at my own investment firm. Uh, so a few years ago, probably uh, about four years ago now, I started a company called Investable Wealth. And it's a, uh, it's a money management firm. Uh, just a little inside baseball for your listeners. The, the industry, the financial industry is, is basically split up into people that either sell insurance or they're stockbrokers or they're, um, investment advisors. And so, um, and I'm just kind of telling this to the to students that may be interested in kind of understanding how they're, how they might want to shape their career. But so there's a lot of different ways you can go into things. I personally was always interested in finance and the stock market and things like that. But I, I always felt that people like stockbrokers were kind of, you know, I don't want to degrade used car salesmen, but they were, you know, maybe <laughs> less, less than, um, they, they, they didn't always have their clients' best interests at heart. And so I avoided that kind of an industry. And, um, uh, and I, I um, took me many, many years to get to the point where I could start my own firm. And I, I do it under the license because you're required to be licensed by the, by the government. So I do it under the license of investment advisor. But I never wanted to be an advisor, which is another reason I didn't pursue this earlier in my life. I wanted to trade stocks. That's, that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a portfolio manager. And for the most part, unless you come out of uh, you know, a, a really big name school, uh, you know, with an MBA or have some kind of major credentials, you know, you're not going to get hired by Goldman Sachs or, you know, one of these big, big firms, right? A hedge fund isn't just going to pick you up. And um, so it took me a lot of years to get to my goal, but my goal was to be a money manager. I didn't want to sell stocks. I didn't want to sell insurance. I didn't want to do financial plans for people. I wanted to manage stock portfolios. And that's what I do today. So I'm 55 years old. I manage um, now over $17 million, and I do that at, at my own pace. I could, I could take on more clients if I wanted to, but uh, in fact, right now, I'm not even taking on new clients. I just I, I build my business as, as it's appropriate for me, and um, so what I do is I, I actually have people primarily like their, their uh, retirement accounts, and I trade stocks, exchange-traded funds, things like that, trying to help them build their net worth, and um, that was a goal for me. 
you know, again, even as a, as a, as a, as a kid, that's something I wanted to do, but I didn't get to do it until I was like 50 years old. So, um, long, long way of, 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 I guess, maybe answering your question is kind of what I do. Investable Wealth is my firm. I started out, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania. My family was pretty much blue collar. Uh, you know, my grandfathers, you know, were coal miners, railroaders, things like that. <clears throat> I, uh, I had been raised by my mother to, you know, hey, go to college, get a white collar job. I wasn't ready for that. And at 17 years old, I joined the Marine Corps, uh, early, early, I think it was, I don't know, early enlistment or something program. I was a senior in college or a senior in high school, joined the Marine Corps. And, you know, two weeks after high school graduation, I was at Paris Island learning how to be a Marine. And um, was ended up being in the military for seven years active duty, had some reserve time, um, got, out of, got out of the Marine Corps, went to college, went to Penn State for four years, joined Army ROTC while I was there. Um, ended up owing the army three years. That's kind of why I had, I had, th- I had seven years active duty in the military, four of it enlisted the Marines, then four years at Penn state, and then three years of, of active duty as a army officer. And, um, so my, my, my path has taken a long, uh, so I call it a torturous path to my career <laughs> goals. Uh, I spent after beginning out of the military, I spent 20 years as a, a, a corporate salesman. I was, uh, selling industrial products for, Everything from machinery to, you know, commodity type products, specialty chemicals, and um, I was always very interested in business. Uh, again, but in my college degree, I studied environmental science and engineering. I, I was interested in the sciences, but I wanted to make money on the business side. So I took my science and engineering skills and turned that into a, a career in sales. And I got to the point when I was, I don't know. 48 years old, 47 years old, something like that, where I had enough money where I could, uh, at that point, do what I wanted. And that's kind of how I got to where I'm at today with managing my own firm. That's awesome. Um, so much to, to talk about. So a couple of things I pulled out. First off, I love that you mentioned that you're 55 years old and you just recently achieved your, your goal in life. Yeah, yeah well, that, one of them. It, I'm a 30-year I'm a overnight success. <laughs> yeah, um, and I think that sort of, it falls in line with the, with the ideals of the podcast and what we preach is that it's, it's never, uh, not always a short-term fix. Um, we set goals here. Um, I kind of encourage people to set a goal in the beginning of the podcast because I run it seasonally that'll last about three months. Um, and, and it often is sort of part of a bigger goal, right? You know, it's like, oh, you know, for some, it's just getting through this semester of college. Um, and because the larger goal is the degree and, you know, the larger goal than that is a career, like you're, like you were saying. Um, so definitely, yeah, and, and, and I'll, worth I'll interject, I interject there real quick too, yeah. just again, cause I know we're talking to, to mostly what I'm going to consider young, young people, right? Hey, I, I'm a father of six. So my, my kids are all the ages of the people that listen to your show. So I may say, kid or something like that. I don't mean to say it in a derogatory sense. It's just, I'm an old guy, right? I was, I was born in 1961, so I'm an old guy. But something I think is important for the, for the students and listeners to, to understand is that, you know, I look back now and I say, gee, I wish I'd have done this 20 years ago, right? But I, I, I wasn't that person 20 years ago. I didn't have those, uh, I didn't have the intelligence. I didn't have the wisdom. I didn't have the money to do things 20 years ago that I can do today. Um, and so now when I look back, I wonder how did I put up with all that crap all those years doing things I didn't want to do at the time. It wasn't that bad when I was going through it because I didn't know, because I had short term goals, you know, join the Marine Corps, right? My first goal was to spend three months at Paris Island and graduate as a Marine, right? That was, that was the goal. And then, you know, it moves on from there and then, uh, go to the next level of training, you know, make through, make it through jump school. Um, you know, these are all kind of short term goals, make it through college, make it through that 
calculus test. Yep. I mean, those those are it, so it is. It's you're you're doing it short term. These short term little goals, even if you're not you're not a hundred percent happy or successful, you're on the road to success, and that's really the important part. So when you get to my age, you can look back and say, hey, that those last thirty years kind of worked out okay. You know, there were a lot of bumps along the road, but it's a progression of 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 uh, attaining your goals, and that's that's what success is. So you're successful when you start to attain your goals. You don't have to attain the goal, you just have to start to do it. Yeah. That's when you become a success. I agree, I agree. It's definitely the, the process is, is much of the, the learning. Um, the other thing I wanted to just let the, the audience know, because I've had a couple of people reach out to me to come on the show, and I wanted to clarify, I actually called John to come on. Um, he's not coming on to uh, hawk his investment uh, firm. Um, as he said, he wasn't even taking new people, but, um, I, and you might think like, this is a little bit of a departure from typical guests that I have on, um, being in the, um, financial sphere. And I just kind of wanted to address like why I thought it would be great to have you on is because, um, we're, I, we're not on to talk about student loans today. I think that's something that a lot of people think about when they think about money and students and college. Um, but I think when, from listening to your podcast, you have, principles that you sort of invoke when you manage money and when you and they seem to carry over to just kind of life principles as well. And I think that college students can learn from that. Some I think probably have financial goals and and that was part of the reason for having you on. Um it's kind of where to start with some of that. But uh, uh, the rest of it is cuz I think that the the principles that we're going to talk about in in a minute now um, relate not only to finance and have taught me so much about sort of how to invest and, and what that means, but they really do sort of overlap uh, to life. So just to kind of introduce you guys, John has um, on his podcast sort of 10 wealth setting principles. Wealth setting is the, the name of his podcast. I just want to run through them quick and I'm going to ask you a question about them. Um, so there are 10 principles. The first one is wealth is freedom. Second one is live debt free. Third is production is the source of wealth. The fourth is identify value. That one goes a lot with what I talk about. Uh, fifth, embrace technology and innovation. Six, profit from trends. Seven, profit from nature. Eight, decrypt propaganda. Nine, be a giver. And ten, wealth is a lifestyle. So I am... Um, I just wanted to ask you, kind of, what led you to establish these? How did they come about for you? And um, yeah, if you could just kind of talk about that a little bit. Sure. Well, it was uh, it was uh, the Fourth of July weekend in twenty fourteen. So, so a couple years ago, two and a half years ago, or something. I um, that that's when I established these. That's when I started my podcast. And it was that weekend. I had heard something that week from. Um, I don't know, Susie Orman or, you know, one of these talking heads on a cable news or something uh, said something really stupid I thought about fi- uh, about investing. And I, I, you know, I have my own style of investing. I'm very skeptical of the way the establishment does it. I mean, you heard what I said about stockbrokers and things like that. So I'm, I, I have a, a very skeptical approach to to building wealth. And um, and I, I just heard some ridiculous things. And I, I thought, well, that's just dumb. And then I, then I thought to myself, well, yeah, but that's what's out there. That's what everybody's saying. And so how could I tell people, you know, what I know 
And I said, well, what do I know? And I said, well, you know, what have I learned over the last 30 years? And I sat down and I said, well, if I, want, if I was going to teach my kids, which I do want to, again, I'll mention I have six kids. And what have I taught my kids over, over, over the course of their life about money and things? Yeah. And so I just came up with these 10 principles that I think are things that I've learned over the last 30 years. And, and I did that in, in accordance with starting a podcast. I said, I'm going to do a podcast. The first 10 episodes are going to be these 10 items. And I'm, you know, I'm going to take it from there. And that's, that was, I don't know, you know, a couple hundred episodes on my podcast. They're still out there. People can go listen to them. Um, I will caution your, your listeners. Uh, sometimes when younger people hear these two, they'll say things like, ah, well, you know, that's, there's nothing new or interesting there. And, and, and to some degree, that's the point, mm-hmm. right? There is. And then that's why I get so frustrated with the financial industry is, um, you know, people are always trying to pitch you on, hey, this is, this stock's going to go up 500% or this is the next best investment, uh, you know, technology, or this is the, this is the, the, the you know, real estate's the trend now. And it's all about short term getting rich quick. And that's not the way you build wealth. That's never the way you build wealth. If you look at people that win the lottery or, you know, celebrities, uh, big, you know, sports athletes that make a lot of money, you know, just because you make a lot of money doesn't mean you have a lot of wealth. And it's, uh, you know, oftentimes you'll see the celebrity that goes bankrupt or, or in many cases, people that win the lottery, you know, three years later, they're broke. You say, well, how could you have gone broke when you made $10 million? Building wealth has nothing to do with earning money short term. It has to do with the particular lifestyle that you lead and knowledge that you acquire. And so that's kind of how I came up with these 10 principles. They're not new. They're not revolutionary. Uh, they're just things that I learned over the course of my life. And I think if you apply them, uh, it can work out well for you. Yeah, I think so too. You have one or two in particular that you think might be most or more important for college students to be focusing on. I just wondered because there was one that stuck out to me. And, uh, you know, do any that are maybe a focus that you're really trying to drive home to your kids right now in particular? Yeah, you know, and, and again, it's one of these kind of things. Is it's like anything where the the one that's important is the one that you know that you need the most kind of yeah. thing. So everybody's different in their own life. I, I tell you, I number two, live debt free is really important, um, which goes along to which goes along with with the tenth principle of, of wealth is a lifestyle. Um, the the reason you can build wealth over a period of you know ten years or so is because you're living debt free and you're living a particular. Um, you know, conservative lifestyle and the fact that you, you spend less than you make. You're, you're always, you, you have your lifestyle where you're, you're, um, you're, uh, you're satisfied with living on a, a, a lower lifestyle than what you could support. Mm-hmm. And that's counterintuitive to the way we live our society today. Everybody wants to live 110 or 120 percent better than they are. So, you know, they make $50,000 and they spend sixty-five because they're putting on a credit card, they're getting a bigger mortgage, they're buying their car with, um, you know, no interest loan. And uh, again, that's the, way the, that's the way the consumerism wants you to think. Uh, but, you know, so I really think living debt-free, number two, and number 10, that wealth is a lifestyle, are overall how you build wealth. But uh, I really, I, I guess I think, I think for younger people, though, the thing that they probably should really focus on is is number three, which is production is the source of wealth, and I think that's especially important with with uh, the way things are now because I don't think people believe that. I think people think that you get wealthy by being famous, 
or you get wealthy by being lucky or whatever type of privilege there is, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, or, you know, or getting a degree, you get a certain kind of, you know, you get a medical degree, you're going to be wealthy. Well, that's not true. There's, there's plenty, plenty of doctors that are living paycheck to paycheck because they're, they're not managing their, managing their lifestyle properly. So yeah. production is a source of wealth. And that has to do with really that you know, you're going to create wealth by creating products and services that help other people, that serve other people. And that's yeah. the bottom line. That's awesome. I'm so glad you picked that one because it's not the one I picked, but it goes with mine. Um, I talk a lot on the show about this idea that like, you know, when you come out with a degree, that's going to be great, but there's a lot of other people coming out with degrees too. And I encourage people to not to not wait until they're done with college to start building their brand, you know, to start, you know, a website or, or a little entrepreneurial side hustle type of thing, because there's nothing to be lost. It's there's only things to be learned and gained and you do can, you can start producing in that kind of capacity. And I think it goes along with the one that I, that stands out to me for college students, which is number eight to decrypt propaganda. <laughs> um, there's just so much of it out yeah, there. That, that could get you kicked out of college. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, but it's just one, it's just, just to be aware that it's out there, you know, there's so much out there and that, um, you know, to just set, stop and think about, you know, what you're being told and, you know, critical thinking is so important, but it does go that with that is that thinking that, you know, a lot of the propaganda around college is that there will be this job just waiting for you when you get out. And I think a lot of college students these days have, have come to grips with that, that not being the case, but, um, it still is, is perpetuated. I think a lot in the, in the lower level schools, um, yep. everything is coming, everything is coming at, at you for, for some type of an agenda the, the person that's delivering that message is is marketing something to you you yeah. know they're they're trying to sell you a they're trying to sell you a pharmaceutical product or a car or a house or a college degree you know whatever and um and and that's not bad i mean the, the i'm a firm believer in the free market the ability to you know sell things at a profit but you just have to know uh you have to have that discernment to know that um something's coming to you from a certain perspective and everything is coming from a perspective. So you have to, you have to, uh, weed, weed through all that and see what is most appropriate for you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's pivot a little. I want to talk about the millionaire next door. <laughs> um, you talk about this person a great deal on your show and I don't know if everyone even is aware of what the millionaire next door actually means. Um, and the fact that they are so prevalent in today's society. I was wondering if you could just kind of break down what you mean when you talk about that term and why these people interest you so much. Sure. So, and, and this is a, a, was a epiphany in my life. Uh, Millionaire Next Door was a book that was written by Dr. Thomas Stanley. He had a co-author. And I, I think he, I, I don't know who the other co-author was. Apparently he didn't have as good a marketing as, as Thomas Stanley <laughs> did because everybody remembers Thomas Stanley. But there were actually two guys that wrote that book. Dr. Thomas Stanley, though, he was, I believe, a professor at, at, uh, at uh, University of, uh, oh, he might have been Georgia, uh, uh, Georgia State. I think he's in Georgia State. Okay. Um, but he was a professor and he wrote a book in 1996 called The Millionaire Next Door. I'm not sure exactly how, but I stumbled upon that book that year when it came out. I was 35 years old, and that was really the epiphany of my life because up till that point, um, as I mentioned, I was raised in a blue-collar background, but my mother had kind of 
uh, you know, nurtured me to say that, hey, go to college, get the get the degree, become a white collar worker. Don't you know, don't work in the mill or the mine like like the you know like the people you've been raised around. And um, so I, I pursued that thing by you know eventually going to college, getting my degree, working in corporate world. Um, but I never felt like a white collar guy, and I say that in terms of. You know, I, I was never interested in being the CEO. I was never interested in having a corner office in the big skyscraper. Um, in the military, I was never interested in being the general. I mean, that's just that those weren't. I I don't like telling people what to do, and I don't like being told what to do. Right? I mean, yeah. but I, I'm not I'm not one of the people that you know I'm not, I'm not like hypocritical where I want to tell you what to do, and I don't want to you you know I just don't want to have anything to do with it at all. I don't like organizations. I don't like structure and bureaucracy. And, um, so I, I was fighting that all those years. I mean, I was trying to, because if you want to be in the military or you want to be in corporate America, I mean, there's, there's definitely a set path that you take and certain things are required of you to do that, um, in that hierarchy. And it's, you know, if you work at Google, it's going to be different than if you work at, um, you know, Procter and Gamble, but, but it's still a corporate, I don't care what it is. It's a corporate structure. It's just the way it is. Yep. And, and I didn't fit that path because I, I didn't have those kind of goals and objectives. I was very much interested in, in gaining knowledge and, and building wealth and raising a family and, uh, things that I was interested in. I mean, I didn't want to play golf on Sundays or Saturdays with the boys. You know, I didn't want to have a boat and go fishing with the guys. That those are just not things that interest me, which were kind of the things that depend upon what corporate job or where you were at in the hierarchy you had to do. And um and it also had to do with the way I, I wanted to do business and things. But so I was I was fighting this for all these years, being successful, but at the same time not inner successful because I was, I, you know, I was making money, but I wasn't really pursuing my interests. Mm -hmm. And I read that book. And, and the interesting thing about that book is it has nothing. People, when I talk about that book, people think that it's going to tell you how to make money. It has nothing to do with making money. It just tells you about people that have made money. And when I read that book, The Millionaire Next Door, it rang so true to me because it, it, um, it, it talks about you know, eight, and the statistics from then are still pretty same much today because it's it's about human nature. It's not about making money. I tell people about you know investing in the stock market has virtually nothing to do with balance sheets and profit statements. It has to do with human nature. And building wealth is the same way. That that book though talks about you know eighty percent of millionaires are are guys that they they live in the same community they grew up in. Uh, they're married to the same person all those years. They they drive a you know, a Ford or a Toyota or something. I mean, they're, they're not the glitzy Hollywood kind of people that you would think. That's not where 80% of millionaires are. And it's because they're people that have built their wealth themselves. Uh, again, like I talked about, offering products and services. They, they, they were doctors. They were plumbers. They were carpenters. They were college professors like Dr. Thomas Stanley. I mean, it, from, it, it doesn't matter what the IQ level is or the intelligence or the degree attained. Um, people in all walks of life can become millionaires by living a, a, a conservative lifestyle. I, I use conservative not in terms of political sense, but in the terms of you know conservatory, spending less than you make. So um, that book was really an epiphany for me because it 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 put in harmony what I had thought, but not what I was what I was seeing around me. Because I was seeing around me, you know, get promoted to the next job. Um, 
those those type things in, in the corporate structure. But I would, but I also saw the people around me didn't have any wealth. You know, they every time someone got a promotion, they moved to a bigger house and a bigger country club, you know, closer to the golf course or whatever, and they they were making more money, but they weren't building wealth, and that was a real shift for me, and it caused me unrelated to the book, but it caused me to pursue things that I was more interested in, which was trading stocks. And I had already been doing that for over a decade, kind of just as a hobby. And I started kind of pursuing it at that point as a, as a uh, part-time job, I guess you'd say. I, you know, I spent a lot of my efforts focusing on that. And, um, and that, again, eventually led to, me, led to where I'm at today. Uh, but it also kind of freed me up in the corporate world because I actually, from that point on, became making a lot more money and being much more successful in my corporate job because I never, I was never, I knew that I never wanted to be a vice president and I never wanted to be the guy in the corner office. I never wanted to be the CEO. Uh, but, ha- but when I finally acknowledged that, then it allowed me to focus on the things that I was going to be really good at. And I, and I did that. And so consequently I made a lot of money, if that makes sense. You know, yeah. I, 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 for me, I gravitated to, you know, I was never above a mid-level kind of manager, but I made really nice six-figure incomes because I focused on the sales and marketing skills that I was good at, and I never cared about corporate politics. I never really cared about the next promotion. I made my money by you know bonuses, incentives, commissions, things like that, and that's yeah. what I was good at. And so I, by, by focusing on those things, I made more money on my day job. I made more money on my night job, which was trading stocks, and in really... 12 years from reading that book, you know, I became the millionaire next door. Yeah, that's great. I think what stands out for me about well, the way you describe it is, is the different, the various professions, right? You, you, would, you might expect doctors to be millionaires or even people in, in um, you know, institutions. But when you talk about plumbers or, you know, carpenters or just, you know, people that um, learn to craft or a trade, you know, have a small business of their own. I think a lot of people out there in college, especially, may not realize how how well those people do. And I I remember me being in college. I grew up on Long Island in pretty middle class area, and you know the expectation for me was always I was going to college by my family. It was there was no question. And um, for the people in my high school that didn't go to college, that went the trade school or apprenticeship route, I think it was sort of like almost looked down upon, you know, by people like myself, sadly, that, that went to college. And I bet a lot of them are doing way better than I am right now. <laughs> um, and I know you talk about this on your show, this idea of, you know, apprenticeship being important and, and that we may be going back that way. Um, what do you think about uh, apprenticeship and, and, and higher education? And are, can they be uh, is there room for overlap? Are they mutually exclusive? Um, anything to say about apprenticeship and just when speaking to college students? Yeah, I think your listeners should should be seeking out apprenticeships, whether they're formal or informal, um, because that's really the way you learn. And you know, I would argue that if you look at human history, our current um, you know secondary education system is more of an anomaly than the way it is. I mean, throughout history, people have always used some form of apprenticeship to transfer knowledge. Mm-hmm. And, and because it's hands-on, right? It's, it's, it's OJT. And really, it's, I would argue, the way the military trains. Um, you know, you, you can take a, a 
18 year old kid out of a high school, whether it's, you know, he's from Appalachia or the inner city of Detroit, you can take that kid, you put him in the military, they run him through a basic training, they run him through some type of uh, an A school after that, and then they put him out in the field. And those guys are everything from, you know, aircraft mechanics to, um, um, you know, co- uh, programmers. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they, they, they just, and it's, and it's not, they're not, they're building those skills through on-the-job training, which is really what an apprenticeship is. And uh, you do that generally in exchange for time. You know, in the military, you sign up for six years, and they, they teach you a skill. So I, I think that college students should look for those, uh, like I say, either formally or informally. I know a lot of, I think, a lot of college programs are starting to require people to have apprenticeships anyways. But it just makes a good idea because what you're learning in school, in the classroom, it's it's book learning. It's it's um, you know it's theoretical. It's not necessarily practical or applicable. And so when you work on the apprenticeship side, you're you're working, and it doesn't matter what it is. If it's, it can be a nonprofit, it can be a profit organization. I mean, the point is you're you're applying those skills that you're learning in school in some type of uh, on-the-job training program where you're dealing with people that are creating products and services. And wherever your aspect fits in, you know, maybe you're a sociologist major where, you know, you're studying uh, human behavior type things, or maybe you're a a medical student, whatever it is, you're going to be employed in some kind of area where you're offering products and services. And so the great part about those apprenticeship programs is, you know, that you, you're, you're in the field working and applying what you've learned in school. Yeah. And, uh, and I really think uh, the, the way I kind of teach it is, is that it takes about seven years. And, and historically, if you look through, you know, the way indentured servitudes and things like that went, they, they went about seven years. So there's about a seven-year apprenticeship program where you craft your skills, where you really learn the trade. You know, whether it's, again, being a doctor, being a carpenter, um, it probably takes you about seven years to really become a master of it, right? The 10,000 hours kind of concept. And then once you do, once you've done that, though, then you have the ability to go on and do other things. You, know, you can continue being an employee. You could be an entrepreneur, start your own company. You can go on and learn another skill or trade. But it probably takes you about seven years to really be a master at something. Yeah, good answer. And I think for people out there that might be wondering, like, well, what do I, what do I apprentice in? Like, how do I find that? And, and I would direct people to something we talk about in the show a lot is, is your mentors. You know, your mentors are the people where probably apprenticeships originate from. And there would be the people that would be guiding and, and, and would know of opportunities to get involved with things like that. So sort of, I think, ties in pretty well with other things we talk about. Yeah, and as they're looking for their, their mentors, they might want to look to, towards some of those millionaire next door people, as opposed to just the corporate structure that that most people might think of, yeah, um, you know, small businesses or you know some other kind of area where you're going to meet that man or woman that you know again they've been crafting their skill for for thirty years. You're you're bringing to them the perspective that that's fresh from a, a younger person, probably much more knowledgeable about technology things like that, but they have thirty years of of earning a living, you know, learning how to do that. And you can, uh, you can match those skills up and, and a, a mentor like that would be really helpful. Yeah. All right. Let's turn back to, uh, to money and investing a little bit. Cause I'm sure there's people out there listening like, all right, they're talking about apprenticeship, but I, he's a money manager. 
I have a thousand dollars and I want to get, you know, started in the stock market. Like, what should I do? And I thought he was going to answer questions like that. So let's talk, let's talk to those people a little bit. Um, I want to know, uh, you have a process that you've talked about in your, um, podcasts to building financial wealth. And I think to addressing people like that, I'm sure come to you saying, Hey, I have this certain amount of money and they're maybe very young and, and have never invested before and have no, um, you know, retirement savings to speak of yet. What advice do you give to people? Um, can you explain, explain your process a little bit if you do, um, talk to people like that? Sure. So the, the, you know, we mentioned that production is a source of wealth. So you have to produce things to build wealth. But when it comes to net worth itself, just the process of accumulating money, it's a three-step process. It's very simple. It's, I call it earn, save, invest. You have to learn how to earn money. You have to learn how to save money. And then you have to learn how to invest it. When people come to me and say, John, what can I do with $1,000? You know, what's a stock tip? Something like that. I tell them nothing. You know, no one ever, I have a podcast about this, that no one ever asked me where they can buy a good BMW for $1,000. Because everybody knows you can't buy a good BMW for $1,000. You can get an old crappy beat up one, right? But you can't get a good one. Same thing with investments. You're not going to get a good $1,000 investment. It takes tens of thousands or you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to really be able to get a good investment. And so what people need to do particularly younger people, is they need to focus on the first two parts of that equation, which are earn and save. And so you learn how to increase your earning power, and then you learn those lifestyles to spend less than you make. And, and when you do that, then you get to the point where you have fifty, dollars dollars $75,000, something like that. And then you can ap apply that to a good investment strategy. Because here's the problem. If, if you have $1,000, and this doesn't matter if you're 80 years old or if you're 18 years old, if you have $1,000, and you get a 10% return on that, which is, you know, despite what people think, a 10% return is really a good return. Yeah, really great. A lot of money. <laughs> uh, treasuries right now are paying about 1.6%. A 10-year treasury is paying 1.6%. So um, double-digit growth is, is extraordinary in the real world. But if you have $1,000, you get 10% return, you made 100 bucks. If you're a novice and you don't know what you're doing, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have been easy to get that. It's not it's not easy for me to get a ten percent return, let alone someone who doesn't know what they're doing. So, how how much effort did they have to put in to getting that ten percent return and make a hundred dollars? Maybe they would have been better studying calculus more, right? Or getting an A in their test, or uh, getting a job and working extra hours, or getting a promotion, or you know, whatever it is. They're, they need to focus on that earning part. You know, guys like Dave Ramsey say, get a job delivering pizzas, whatever. It's, there's a lot of ways to make $100, which are much more easier than trying to get a 10% return on a $1,000 investment. So that, that's why, you know, it's all about the, the amount of money you've accumulated. And if you only have $1,000, you're not going to be able to turn that into anything. So at the end of the day, the way you build your net worth is by focusing on how to earn more money and, again, how not to spend it, how to save it. And then at some point, you'll have enough money where, hey, if you have $50,000, you get a 10% return. Now you just made five grand. That's, it's not easy to go out and make five grand in a given day, but most people can figure out a way to go out and make $100 in a day. Yeah. Yeah, it's well said, and, and I think, you know, Maybe it's been talked about on your show or another show. I get all these podcasts mixed up, but it's like I've heard people talk about it when or they've been posed with that question of like, you're better off investing the thousand dollars in yourself into you know learning a new skill or a craft and, and 
like you said, being able to produce something that would pay off, you know, many times fold than trying to, you know, like you said, pick the right stock and, you know, miraculously get a 10% return. And when you, when you look, when you break it down by the actual numbers, it really does, um, make it very, very clear about uh, how much work it takes and how, how little money that is in the grand scheme of things. So yeah, people in the investment industry want everybody to think they're an investor, you know, because that's how they make money. They only make money when people buy mutual funds or, you know, put, put money in some kind of a financial investment. And, um, and the fact of the matter is most people aren't investors. Most people should be savers. And uh, it is very important to invest in themselves. Um, and, and again, though, you have to remember that we talked about that decrypt propaganda. Yep. Investing in yourself doesn't mean you take a $1,000 course on how to trade commodities because <laughs> you're, you know, the guy making the, teaching the class is going to be the one that's making the money, not you. Um, and likewise, maybe you know, the get, getting that college degree isn't the right thing for you either, right? I mean, it all depends on what's best for them. Maybe people should be learning a trade. Mm -hmm. Maybe they should be changing their majors, but um, they, they've got to work on what's best for them, where they fit into that process of providing products and services. Everybody has a specific talent and ability, and the, the better that they can be at producing those products and services, the more money they'll make. Yeah. All right. So... I, um, I created this podcast really to try and empower college students. The goal is to set goals for themselves, feel supported as they pursue and achieve these goals. Um, I really, when I talk back, when I talk about it, I, I usually, my first episode of each semester, we, we talk about, you know, what's the goal we're going to set. And I, I try and get people to pick goals related to passions that they have in life or, or things that they're really invested in. Um, not monetarily, but, you know, thought-wise and, and uh, in the, with their hearts. Um, because I know that sometimes, a lot of times for college students, especially full-time students, like the goal is, is sort of default school, right? The, that's the goal because you're paying all this money and you're a full-time student. And I think a lot of times college students might think, oh, I really would like to be doing this other thing too because it just means a lot to me, but it gets pushed off to the side because, because of school. Um, and I, that's what I'm trying to do on this podcast is remind people like those passions matter and we can achieve those while doing the other things we need to do too. How do you see the concept of pursuing your passion, which is, uh, I hate even saying that phrase sometimes cause it's so cliche, but, um, do you think it has to come at the expense of earning a decent living through, you know, being a full-time student in college? Now, I, you know, I think the concept of it is extremely important, and I think people should should do that. They should be pursuing, and I'd, I'd probably maybe tweak that a little bit because I say pursuing your passions too, but that's not always the right phrase. It might be something more like pursuing your talents. Might be or a your better curiosities, way to say or, that, or yeah, you know, what, whatever what that is. That, yeah, yeah, because um, some people don't know what their passion is. Yeah, or you know, your passion could be. Drugs and alcohol too, right? That's not yeah. necessarily the right thing to pursue. Yeah. Um, so it's more about, I think, your talents. Pursue the things that make you a better person. Um, and that's ultimately what's going to make you successful. The problem with that, the problem with pursuing you know, things that you like, you, you don't. And, and you know, again, to the kids listening to this, this episode, I don't say this to put you down or anything, but you know, you're 18, 19, 20, 25, whatever. You don't know as much as you think you do. You don't know what you... You don't know what you don't know. So you don't even know what you like or what you don't like. You may have an idea of it, but yet you haven't tried enough things to really know 
You know, maybe your passion is in doing something you've never even heard of before because you, you just weren't exposed to it because of the, the way you were raised or your background. You know, I talked about I was 35 years old before it really gelled to me about the, the millionaire next door concept. Yeah. And uh, it, it was what I knew, but it wasn't what I was being told. And so it wasn't until I read that book that it kind of showed me that, yeah, kind of my, my inner thoughts were right, but it was not what culture was teaching me. Culture was telling me, you know, get a white collar job, do this, do that. And that wasn't it. It was more about providing products and services in your community. And so, so I'd, I'd encourage them to, to definitely follow those passions and, and talents and, and their curiosities. But, but be open enough to know that you know, the person they are now at 20 isn't going to be the person they're going to be at 35 because we're, we're always growing and changing. I'll give you just a real quick idea. I, um, I never had a dog. I, I, my, growing up as a kid, my brother had a dog. That dog hated me. I hated that dog. You know, we, I just wasn't a, I'm, not a, I'm not an animal person. Um, my wife and I got married. We had kids. You know, we didn't have time for dogs and pets because we had, our, had a bunch of kids. And so I never had a dog. Well, as my kids have grown up, um, my youngest now is uh, 16, so, so most of my kids are out of the house. You know, it kind of got quiet around it. We used to have a house full of kids, and now things are getting kind of quiet. Well, John went out and bought a dog, right? <laughs> I love that dog. <laughs> I, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, I'd have told you I'd never have a dog. Well, you know what? I love that dog. I spend more time with that dog on walks and, you know, just doing things than, than I do with anything else. But I, I wouldn't have thought that I would have liked a dog, right? Because yeah. I didn't ever own one. And so you got to go out and try. I mean, it's kind of a goofy example, but and that was even me in my fifties, right? I didn't know I liked a dog until I was fifty years old. Yeah. Well, so you're, you talking, to, you're talking. You're talking to, to a try first, new things. First time dog owner myself, and uh, so I grew up with cats. <laughs> but um, I, I thought of something too. It's something I tell my my undergrad students a lot. The ones that just are planning to go right into graduate school after they get their associates or, I mean, after they get their bachelor's. And I tell them like, you know, that's great if you know, right? Some people know from when they're two years old, what they want to be. Um, I think most people don't, but I tell them, you know, you might want to, you might want to actually try out your degree a little bit <laughs> and see if what, if you really know that you like this because you haven't actually done it yet. And I, I can't even imagine what it'd been like to go to straight to grad school from my, from my bachelor's program without having worked and experienced what it, what the career would be like, because then you, like you said, you do figure out, it's like, Oh, actually I like this subsection of this career or, Ooh, I don't actually like this at all. So I'm really glad I didn't waste the money on the master's degree. So, mm -hmm. yeah, and it, and it gets to um, in experiencing what they what they uh, new things or what their passion are. You know, we generally like the things that we're good at, right? So, if you if you're not very good at mathematics and you don't know how to do differential equations, you probably don't like them, right? It's yeah. not your passion. But that doesn't mean you don't like some other form of mathematics, right? And it could be another area you like. And, and when I went to uh, college, I, that's something I didn't understand either. You know, I, I, um, I probably actually would have been really good at chemistry. You know, looking back now, I, I probably maybe should have done more with chemistry. But I remember some of my initial chemistry courses were just, you know, they were just things I didn't get. And I kind of thought, oh, well, you know, I, organic chemistry, all the, all the big names you had to memorize. And hmm. it never, there never seemed to be any ration, rational reason as to why they were named to what they were. And and I just remember taking organic chemistry and struggling through it. Uh, but, you know, that didn't mean I wouldn't have been a great physical chemist, right? I mean, maybe wouldn't have been a very good organic chemist, but I could have been a different kind of chemist. And so, um, you know, just 
just because you don't like something doesn't mean there isn't a, an area that that's just slightly different that you would like. Um, or, or even the fact that, you know, we talked about uh, that progression. The, the, the fact that you're moving towards your goal makes you a success now. Right? You don't have to wait 20 years to be a success. You're a success as you're pursuing that goal. And as you pursue things and as you get better, you're going to find out you like things that you didn't think you liked because before you weren't good at it. You know, once you learn differential equations, well, hey, now you like them because you're good at it. So don't um, don't give up too early and and try different things. Um, that millionaire next door guy too. When you see the the plumber that's a millionaire or the right the guy that's a roto rooter, whatever has a kind of what you would think is a bad job. Well, he probably likes it because he's been doing it for thirty years. He's making a lot of money at it. He didn't think when he was you know twelve years old he was going to be a plumber, mm-hmm. but he came to like that profession because it paid him well. He was providing a service to his community. Um, you know, he's doing a good job for people, and so he got he got he progressively got more jobs and made more money. That's why he loves being a plumber at 50 years old because uh, he it, it's built him a great lifestyle. And yeah. so there's there's all kinds of I know people that are very happy and make a very nice living washing windows. And it's kind of like really you can walk, and I don't mean like big skyscrapers either where it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Just residential people that clean windows. Um, you may say, well, who'd want to do that for a living? Well, let I me mean, think about it. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's outdoor, it's outdoor work, exactly. right? They're, they're in much better shape than I am. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they're outside, they're their own boss. They, it was very little capital investment to get into the business. They needed a truck, a bucket, a squeegee, a ladder, right? I mean, it wasn't yep. like rocket science. Um, you talk about making a hundred bucks a day, right? They go out and clean a few windows in one house and they made over a hundred dollars cash in most cases. So they can, they can knock out a hundred thousand dollar income, and and they're not commuting, right? They're not yep. they're not sitting in traffic for forty five minutes waiting to get into the city because they're working maybe a two or three square mile radius around where they live, cleaning windows in residential houses. Yep, yeah, and it's not not that not as bad of a lifestyle as you would think it would be. Not at all, considering too how you know. When it rains, you're not working, so you have extra time off. You you make yeah. that money in the, the same the, amount of days that somebody working every day would be. Right, right. And they're making it around their schedule, right? They want to take a vacation. They don't have to ask somebody for permission. They just go take vacation. Yeah. All right. This has been great. A couple of last questions for you, John. Um, what advice would you give to college students? The, the people we have on our podcast are oftentimes dealing with things like depression and anxiety, and it makes it an extra barrier to achieve goals. So... Any advice in particular you might have for students struggling with these types of issues as they work to achieve their goals, financial or otherwise? Yeah, you know, I think, I think just in terms of um, you know, when you're feeling anxious, when you're feeling depressed, something like that, it's, it's probably because your life is not in harmony with your inner self, right? It's kind of a little esoteric there, but... Um, I think that their body maybe is telling them something, you know, Hey, this is, this is not right for you or it's not the right time for you. And, um, maybe they shouldn't try and be a square peg in a round hole kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, again, not to say that you shouldn't pursue other things or try things that are hard. You should do that. You should, you should push yourself, but, uh, you know, whatever, maybe, maybe they should take a break from school. Maybe they should, and maybe not necessarily take a break from school, but like we talked about with the apprenticeship program, do something, try and apply that knowledge that they're, you know, if they're struggling with something right now in college, maybe if they had a part-time job, 
where they had some other type of interaction that really liked that and they'd feel more balance in their life. I think it's about, about balance. Um, but and it's also time for reassessment. And, and may, maybe they're not in the right field. Maybe they're being pressured from their parents or peer pressure or whatever, and they sh- should choose another route. I, I, I've made a lot of career changes and you know, done that torturous path in my life. And um, I, I always felt better when I was on that. I, I knew when I was on the right road because I felt better inside. You know, my, my, my goals were lining up with, with my actions. Yeah. And I'm glad you bring that up, John, just because I think that, I think we are people in a, in a younger generation. I think people in your generation, a lot of times are, we're stuck in that, like, you have to have the same career for your entire life. And that's loosened up somewhat. I mean, people are changing careers, I think, more often now than, than they ever did. Um, but I, I see so many people, so many college students, and I, I look on Reddit a lot, you know, on, they're just, they feel stuck. You know, they're in a place where they don't want to be. <laughs> and I think your, your advice is sound and maybe your body telling you something and, you know, listen to it. You know, that's what intuition is. Um, and that there are sometimes things you could do in addition. It's not to say, oh, I have to quit what I'm doing. But like you said, make a change. Try out a part-time job in addition because maybe Get- the stress is, is, is related to that. Yeah. Right. Or find a hobby or, mm-hmm. you know, some other creative outlet for, for, for your life, because uh, you know, again, you may have to pass that algebra test to get the degree you want, even if you hate algebra. Maybe that's what's giving you all, all your exam- anxiety. Figure out a way to get through it, and maybe you do that by you know, your friends helping you, or you have a hobby that takes your mind off of it, or whatever. But um, I'd say the other thing too is that you know, they may be finding that a source of their anxiety is the fact that, hey, they're taking on debt, they're maybe going into an unknown career field, um, or even for people that have graduated, they're, you know, they're trying to keep up with the Joneses, right? They're trying to pay for the mortgage on the big house and whatever, the, the Tesla, whatever they own. Step back. You know, generally, again, this is my, my life experience. It's not all about the material things. Um, you know, I, I don't get, I don't have anxiety or get depressed when I'm, when I'm doing the things that I feel are right for me. And generally the things that are right for me are not, it's not the kind of car I drive. It's not the kind of clothes I wear. It's not the neighborhood I live in, right? It's, it's, it's family and friendships and, uh, you know, community, things of that nature. So sometimes the things that we put a lot of value on are not very valuable, Right, yep. and um, that kind of gets to one of my other wealth building. I think wealth building principle number four is identify value. Not about just identifying value in the stock market or in real estate, but identifying you know value in yourself and in, in who your eventual spouse is going to be. Though that's that's where it is. And I think if you, and in fact, that's a, maybe a good way for us to end is uh, on that value side. If if you're feeling anxious or depressed or you know having some problems like that, focus on what's really valuable to you. And I think you'll find that depression yeah uh, be better it fits in well with what, what i do i have this sort of i call them derek's five factors that i think about kind of when i'm trying to make make a decision or, or consider something and, and value is one of the five i if it's pat it's i've changed passion to curiosity um kind of in line with what we were talking about before about it being a little cliche um value um use of leverage accountability and sustainability and so i'm definitely in the value camp as well so 
Um, John, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Where can listeners learn more about you if they're interested? Yeah, they can check out my podcast. It's called Wealthsteading, and so it's available at you know, iTunes, all the regular places. The website is wealthsteading.com, and uh, they can get in touch with me there. They can learn more about my thoughts and opinions on the you know, commentary on the stock market as well as just general wealth-building principles. Thanks. Really appreciate it. And taking it for somebody that has listened to every one of your podcasts, um, you you bring such a, a value, <laughs> considering you don't charge for it. Uh, I've learned so much. And, you know, as just what we were saying, like, I didn't know, I was just talking about it uh, in my last week's podcast. If you had asked me five years ago, like, hey, you have any interest in the stock market or investing? I would have been like, hell no, I, I did not care at all, nor did I have any interest in learning. And I've come so far full circle and, it, and I, there was nothing really that, that really led me. It was something like I had, you know, some big effect because of the financial crisis and it kind of prompted me to like get my head on straight. It was just, it started out as a curiosity, you know, it's just like, huh, this is sort of interesting. I always wondered about this and it's led into this, you know, I was saying like really for really just getting an education on, on podcasts, I feel like I've gone pretty far in, in a year or two. So uh, thank you so much for, for coming on and for all you do um, to kind of educate people that don't really know how to make a me make sense of uh, some of the more complicated things related to uh, our economy. So thank you. Thank you, Derek. It was, it was my pleasure. Good right. to be on. Okay. Welcome back. Hope you guys enjoyed that and uh, got something out of that that you had not really learned, knew before, or considered. Um, going to talk about the home exercise for this week and I'd like it to relate to one of John's 10 wealth studying principles. So for this week, go back through those principles and pick one of them. Pick one of them that really matters to you and see if you see if there's a way that that principle ties into your goal at all. Um, let me give you an example. So as you guys know, my goal is, is to, to succeed in my online course that I'm that I'm taking as a uh, somebody that's about to enroll in the PhD program at my university a little scary um, and I think of uh, well studying principle number three production is the source of wealth and we touched on this one in the interview and I've been thinking about this because I, I was just journaling uh, this weekend about the month of September and I, um, I was listing everything I had done, and it was a really productive month for me. And I realized, and it, can, it relates back to the book I'm reading, Anti-Fragile, which I'm going to probably review in a few weeks when I'm done with it, this idea that, I guess, it, when you think of a, a cliche that best fits, it's like, whatever doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Um, this idea that the more I produce, the more productive I become, <laughs> which sounds a little like, duh, but... It doesn't mean it in that sense, like the more you produce, the more you have. It's the more you produce, the more capable you are of producing even more. And people may not realize that, you know, you might think, you know, there comes a point where you just can't. And that is true. You, there's no getting blood from a stone. So, you know, you certainly need the correct supports in place and you need the right for me, the, the healthy habits and routine to sustain um, a really productive pace. But I find when I have those things in place, the structure and the support, I can take on a lot of shit and I can do a lot and keep a lot of balls in the air um, when it comes to, you know, teaching, 
um, learning in my own course, doing this podcast, doing my business, you know, killing it with my family, you know, just wanting to be there for them and, and provide and support and not, you know, being living in a vacuum to really just, you know, be all work and no, you know, play because there are people like that. And that is not me, anyone that knows me. Um, production is the source of wealth. I know that the more I produce, the more long-term wealthier I will be. And I am in sort of, you know, what you call the prime working years. Um, and I think they go, you know, from your twenties through your forties that are really just like your, your brain is in the zone and you have the experience and it starts, you know, in college that, that time, you know, learning those skills, meeting those people, making those connections, finding your way. So, when I think of production as the source of wealth, I think that as as overwhelmed as things get, especially as the semester gets, um, you know, as we get deeper into the semester, it's going to get overwhelming. I know that. I felt in my world like the grading responsibilities kick up a notch in this last week, and I'm sure you guys feel it too in the amount of assignments you have coming up due. It's like, ah, all of a sudden now, second second third, as we were talking about earlier, second third of the semester gets busy, right? Midterms, projects start coming due. So, but think the more productive you are, and if you have the right supports and resources in place, the more wealthy you will be in the long run, the more you'll gain, um, your brain just becomes even more resilient and can take on even more. So, since we just are scratching the surface when it comes to our brain power, read any of that literature about how little of our, we actually use in any given moment. So, I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode. I sure as hell did. And I cannot wait to come back at you next week. Have a great one, guys. Peace.